and turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Of course, we've been studying um, Psalm 23 now. This is our second week as we continue our series of Summer in the Psalms. And already, as I've prayed through this psalm and thought through this psalm, the Lord has certainly um, brought all sorts of fresh um, revelation in terms, not so much in terms of new revelation, want to be clear there, um, you know, it's not like I got some special revelation from that, but what I meant to say that God has used this scripture and showed me how can I apply this to my life in the here and now. And um, as I've, uh, you know, every morning I get up, I say the psalm to myself, um, as a young child, I think I mentioned last week that I memorized this psalm, and this psalm has been such a blessing uh, to me, and I wanted to kick off our Summer in the Psalm series with it. So today I want to talk of, I want to focus on verse number four, as we look at valley experiences, and how David helps us to understand valley experiences. So hear now the word of God, I'm going to read the entire passage, and um, and for those of you, I, I know I issued a challenge of trying to memorize it. I'm not going to hold like your feet to the fire on that, by the way. Um, I saw some people in a panic, like, is pastor going to give me a test at the end of the month? No, I'm not, maybe. But, um, but if you, you know, this is a lifetime journey. So if you want to uh, memorize it at some point, absolutely. I won't bind your conscience that you have to memorize it by the end of the month. But hear now the word of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you now that we have the opportunity to come before you and to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you that we now have the opportunity to come before you and hear your word. Father, you work through your word the Word coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we have the Word before us. Holy Spirit, come and enliven our hearts and minds. Give us the ability to see your truth and to apply it to our hearts. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want you to take a look at verse number 4. Verse number 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse number four is David's theology of suffering. 
You know, one of the things I realized that in the midst of COVID-19 and all that is taking place, one of the things that we have missed as a church, I think, is we haven't, or we don't have, I should say, a rich or robust theology of suffering. Because the minute that COVID-19 happened, or the minute something in our society happens that is, um, that is difficult or hard, it's amazing to me that we as Christians just lose our religion, and we forget what the Bible has to say about suffering. And here, David is giving us a picture of what true suffering should look like for God's people. And David reminds us of the fact that these valley experiences that we go through, yes, they're real. These valley experiences are often trials or depression or temptation or pain or suffering. And the realness of these valley experiences sometimes press us down to the point where we wonder if God is even present. What is God doing? And so David reminds us that when we are in the midst of these valley experiences, we don't just endure them like how we would endure a Ruth Canal, right? No, more so than that, David is saying that we should take valley experiences as an opportunity to glorify the Lord and to show this world what suffering uh, or glorifying God in the midst of suffering actually looks like. And so what I want to do is I want to show you the three concepts in this passage that David uses to help us to see that we can glorify God in the midst of our suffering. These are three concepts, and here they are. First, David helps us put suffering in its proper context. Secondly, David, David reminds us that God is in the midst of our suffering. He has not left us alone. But the third thing is that David shows us that there is an end to suffering. And beloved, isn't that a good thought to think that there is an end to the suffering that God, people's, God people um, have? So the first thing, David helps us uh, by putting suffering in its proper context. You know, it's not by accident that David puts this uh, concept of walking through the valley of the shadow of death where, where he does. It's right in the middle of this psalm. And it's right in the middle of two concepts that David shows us uh, that this passage naturally has. Notice verse number one and verse number three talks about God's present provision in our lives. The fact that he makes us lie down in green pastures, that he provides for us. He leads us behind still waters. He restores our souls and leads us in the path of righteousness. And then right after he talks about the valley experience, he talks about future blessing, that the Lord will prepare our table before us in the presence of his enemies. And he anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows. And he talks about this future blessing that we'll see as a people. It's not by accident that David does that. Why? Because context matters. Context matters. I remember when I came over... Um, from the Bahamas to the United States, I was like a fish out of water, literally. And I remember there are two things, I remember two distinct uh, times in my life as I was, uh, when I first came over, that I misunderstood the context of what people were talking about. The first one was I, I didn't have a car when I came, and so I walked up to um, an information booth and I asked them, where's Walmart? I keep hearing about this place called Walmart. Where's Walmart? And they said, it's right around the corner. Now listen, when you're in, when you, if you're a Bahamian, right around the corner literally means 
right around the corner. But apparently in America, it means four miles away. And so as I embarked on my journey to go right around the corner to go to Walmart, an hour later, I find myself in the blazing hot sun looking for Walmart that was supposed to be right around the corner. When I finally went to Walmart, I walked into the store, and I was looking to buy some goods, and I saw uh, something. I can't remember what it was. It was 10 for 10. I said, this is awesome, 10 for 10. I don't need 10 of them, but this is a good deal. And so I got all 10 of them, right? And when I went back to my, uh, my dorm room, my uh, roommate said, hey, Dennis, do you, do you realize you don't have to buy all 10 to get the deal? You could have probably only bought two or three. But hey, that's what happens, right? If you don't understand the context of what people are talking about, you end up making grave mistakes. You end up harming yourself, and you end up possibly harming others. Well, beloved, the same thing is true when it comes to suffering. If you don't put suffering in its proper context, if you don't understand what the Lord is doing as you're suffering, man, you could lose perspective. And so what David does is David doesn't just start the psalm talking about the valley, and he doesn't end the psalm by talking about the valley. He puts it in between God leading us and directing us to remind us that, hey, the same God that is leading us and directing us through all of these points in our life is the same God that leads us through the valley. And we ought to be reminded of that. Now, when we lose sight of the context of suffering, what happens to God's people? Well, we lose perspective. We lose perspective. One of the clearest examples of this is, in, uh, is, uh, is with Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. Most of you know the context there. Yeah, you know, Elijah just finished on Mount Carmel killing all the prophets of Baal. And then Jezebel says, you know what? Because you did this, I'm going to destroy you. And what does he do? I mean, he's just experienced the power of God killing all of these prophets of Baal. Did he say to Jezebel, you can't touch me? You can't do anything to me? Do you not see what I did to all of the prophets of Baal? He gets exposed to this little, um, this, this type of suffering, and immediately he runs and cowers. And the Bible says he finds a cave. And God comes looking for him in the cave and says, where are you? What are you doing? Did I not just give you the power to kill the prophets of Baal? And here you are because somebody tells you that they're going to kill you. You're, you're cowering. And then even after God appears to him, what does he say? He says, God, I'm jealous for you. Right? Everything I'm doing, God, is for you. And then he goes on to say, but God, nobody else is jealous for you. Nobody else loves you as much as I do. And then he says, all have forsaken you. All have forsaken your covenant. And he says, I, only I am left to serve you. You know what's interesting to me? Whenever you and I go in the midst of suffering, we always become self-aware to the point where we forget everything else. Whenever we're going through a time of suffering, it always become, it, we always make it about ourselves, just like Elijah did. Instead of remembering who God is and what God does, he says, God, you know nobody loves you like I love you. And you know, God, that nobody else serves you the way I serve you. And God, you know that only I, only I am suffering like this. There's no one else in the world that's suffering on the level that I'm suffering. 
And God gives him two chances to get this right, and he still gets it wrong. And finally, God says, you know what? Get up. Get up. Get out of the cave. You go back. You go back to where you came from, and you anoint a new king, and you anoint a new prophet, because I have over thousands who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Hey, listen, you're not the only person suffering. And not only that, look at the context in which you find your suffering, God's abundant provision. And when we put things in its proper context, when we put our suffering in the proper context, we can truly say, like Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. We can't say that if we take our suffering out of its proper context. You and I can't possibly come before God and say, God, you are working all things out for the good if we're so focused on ourselves. And that's what David is trying to do. David is trying to remind us that our suffering is placed within the context of God's covenantal love and care for his people. And when you and I forget that, man, we run the risk of making our Christian life all about us. And it's not. Beloved, I hope you've taken a moment to consider what God is doing even amidst our suffering in the here and now. And I have brothers and sisters who are, are deeply hurt by what's going on in our society with respect to racial injustice, with respect to all um, with what, what many perceive as being uh, injustice towards black and brown people. But I've encouraged them, hey, can, can you stop for a moment and, and maybe think about what God is doing now in the midst of this? That we've been given a ministry of reconciliation and maybe God has given us an opportunity to come together as a people to make things right together. When each and every one of you, as you go through these valley experiences, and by the way, they will come. They will come. Pause for a moment and consider the context, what God is doing in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And when we do that, we can truly say, God, you are working all of these things out for your good. Notice the second thing. David reminds us that God is present in the midst of our suffering. Notice in verse number four. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are what? With me. You're with me. Now what's David doing here? David is talking about the Emmanuel principle. The principle that God is always with his people in, and, and in their midst all throughout the history of the Bible. It began in the garden with Adam and Eve. God was in the midst of his people in, in the Garden of Eden. God was with his people as Israel left Egypt to go to the Promised Land. God came bodily in the presence of Christ on earth, and the Bible says tabernacled with his people, Isaiah 7, 14. Beloved, this is, an, is the manual principle, that God is always with his people. God loves his people and desires to be with his people. And notice how David teases out this Emmanuel, um, this Emmanuel uh, principle in this passage. He begins this passage by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And what does he do? He makes me to lie down in, in 
in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David is saying over and over, God is in our lives. And he's working his covenantal purposes in our lives to bless us, to bring us in green pastures, to bring us beside still water so we're refreshed. He restores our soul. And then on top of that, he leads us down this path of righteousness for his name's sake. David starts the psalm like that by telling us it is God who's leading us and guiding us and directing us. And then when you go to verse number four, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what is David saying? He's saying this, that the same God that has led you to green pastures, the same God who's led you to go by still waters, the same God who has led, who has led you to restore your soul, the same God that has led you to go down paths of righteousness for his name's sake, is the same God that walks you through the valley of the shadow of death. He's the same God. It's not that there's a different God in the valley. The same God that exists by the green pastures and the still waters and the paths of righteousness is the same God that exists in the valley. And you know, that's a hard thing for us to accept as a people. There are many that don't see that this is the same God that is working. Theresa and I several years ago, attended a funeral service of our next-door neighbor. He had Alzheimer's, and, and you know, we had helped, um, t- helped take care of him, and we had grown quite a fondness for them. And after he died, we attended the funeral service. And in the midst of the funeral service, they had a compilation of verses that just talked about the, the mercy and the blessings of God. And I remember one of them happened to be Lamentations 3.18, and it says this, is, not, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad came. And I remember the, the I, I think it was the, the niece or, or, the, ne- or, yeah, the, niece or, or the daughter or the cousin, someone was reading this passage of scripture. And I remember after she read this passage of scripture, she looked up and she says, I don't believe that. She says, I don't believe that God would ever allow his people to suffer. I don't believe that God would ever allow his people to go through hard times. And Teresa and I was sitting there, and we were stunned. But you know, to some degree, I understand what she was saying. Because if we're honest, in the midst of our suffering and trials, we just don't feel like God is present. We don't feel the sweetness that comes from God in the midst of suffering. We often feel like God has left us high and dry. But beloved, she was missing the sweet reality of Scripture that God is always present with his people in the midst of our suffering. She had a theology. She didn't have a theology of suffering because if she had a theology of suffering, she would know that God God is not absent in the midst of suffering. He's actually near us. C.S. Lewis says this, that God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. He speaks to us even in the midst of our pain. And you and I, as we've been going through this period of COVID-19, I've met many people who have said, Pastor, I've felt isolated. I've felt frustrated. I've been depressed. Where is God? How do I know he's there? Beloved, listen, because he's shouting at us. He's shouting at us. 
Throughout the scriptures, we see that God is always with his people in the midst of suffering. He was, he was uh, in the fire and the pillar of smoke with the children of Israel in the wilderness. He was in the midst of the battle in the promised land. There was another in the fire when the, when the Hebrew man was in the furnace. There was, he was with Daniel in the lion's den, and he was with Peter on the water, and you could go on and on and on. There are so many scriptures that show us that God is in the midst of his people during suffering. And you know what? He's in the midst of his people now. God didn't go on vacation when COVID-19 hit. And he didn't go on vacation when the protest and the violence started. And he doesn't go on vacation when you are in the midst of trials and testing and tribulation. The Bible tells us the exact opposite. He is standing with you. And oftentimes, he carries you. He carries you. You know, David was aware of this. In fact, David acknowledges it when he says, Lord, you are with me. And what happens when God is with us? Notice the text. First of all, we will fear no evil. There's a radical trust that comes when we realize that God is with us. Notice also David says we are comforted by his rod and staff. There's comfort to be had when we realize that God is present. This isn't just the fact that God is there that we know. No, his presence is a strengthening presence. His presence dispels fear. His presence brings comfort. And David certainly realized this in Psalm 13. When he cried out, Lord, how long? I've been suffering for so long. How long? And he ends that particular psalm by saying this, I have trusted in your steadfast love. What did David do? David is saying that he trusts his trust and his comfort are the results of being in the presence of God. That he feels this radical trust in God, even in the midst of suffering. But not only that, he feels this comfort that God is giving him through the means of grace. Right now, you are experiencing the comfort of the Lord. Drink deeply. He has called us as his people, indeed, to drink deeply. Notice the third thing. David shows us that there's an end to our suffering. Now, when we think of the concept of end, the end of a thing, I want to I point out two things. First of all, there's a finish point to our suffering. There's a finish point to our suffering. If you are in Christ, suffering does not last forever. The psalmist says, weeping may endure for a, for a, for a night, but what comes in the morning? Joy. Because there's an end to suffering. Even in this text, you see that there's an end to suffering. The valley of the shadow of death will eventually give way to the fact that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our valleys will end, and it will end with us being in the house of the Lord. Suffering has an end. It cannot go on for long. And beloved, think about it. Why does suffering have to end? Why does God say we cannot be in suffering for prolonged periods of time? You can, you can go to Psalm 22 and find out the answer to that question. What happens when God's people dwell in suffering for a long period of time? First of all, the psalmist in, uh, David in Psalm 22 says that, that it takes a spiritual toll on our bodies. 
It takes a spiritual toll on us. He says, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we, as a God's people, undergo suffering for a prolonged period of time, we feel forsaken by God. Notice also it takes an emotional toll. He says, God, day and night I cry out to you, and I don't feel your presence next to me. But not only that, it takes a physical toll. David says, listen, I am poured out like water. I am beaten down as a result of my sin. That when you and I undergo this prolonged period of suffering, David says that it takes a, it takes a deep toll on God's people. And there's no end to the suffering. You know, beloved, this is what hell is. Hell is just prolonged suffering. That there'll be no end. And this is why, as God's people, we should not desire anyone to go to hell, and we should be praying fervently for the lost to come to Christ. Because could you imagine suffering for all eternity? Even now, the unbeliever, when they're sad, God in His grace helps them to become, uh, to have a measure of happiness. Even when you and I are down and low, from time to time, we have a measure of reprieve. But could you imagine being in a state where you're angry all the time with no relief? And you're depressed all the time with no relief? That's hell. Hell is prolonged suffering with no hope of relief. But praise be to God that we have a God who's in the midst of our suffering who says, That's enough. That's enough. And he only allows you to suffer for so long before he puts an end to it. But not only that, in terms of the finish point, but when we talk about the end of suffering, we also talk about the fact that suffering, there's a goal or a purpose behind the suffering. And David indicates that as well. New, uh, Old Testament professor uh, and scholar Timothy, J., uh, Timothy S. Lenac says it this way. He says that David reminds us that every aspect of this uh, psalm, God is giving us something that we need, that there's a purpose behind what God is doing. In fact, he said we should probably read this psalm, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And because the Lord is my shepherd, he makes me lie down to green pastures. Because every aspect of this psalm meets a need for God's people, even the valley of the shadow of death. Even trials and testings and tribulations uh, have or serve a purpose in the life of his people. Now, you might be asking, Pastor Dennis, how does suffering help us? How is suffering a blessing to us? Well, I point your attention to the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5.5, and it gives five, um, five ways in which suffering uh, helps God's people. The first is that they mention that suffering causes us to be humble. You know, when we're going in the midst of suffering, it's hard for us to be prideful. And so one of the reasons why God brings us down the valley of the shadow of death is to humble us. And, to, and the second thing is to cause us to see our deep need for him. Not only are we humbled, but now we see that we cannot go through this life alone and we need God's help. It mentions that the fact that we are more close and constant dependence on, on God for, our, for his support. Not only that, it mentions that um, this is a form of a chastisement, that through suffering, you and I become stronger in the things of God. 
Number four, it says, discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts. We go through suffering to reveal the content of our heart in terms of who we truly are. And the last thing they mention is that to make us more watchful against all future occasions of sin. In other words, it's through suffering that you and I see what God is doing, and it makes us watchful for future events and time. But beloved, I close with this. Ultimately, as God's people, we know that our suffering is only for a period of time and has a particular purpose because it mirrors that of Christ. Both of these realities are seen on the cross as Christ suffered for a period of time and he also suffered for a purpose. Christ's uh, suffering on the cross was only for a period of time. The Bible says that for an afternoon, our Lord suffered. And his suffering was intense, but it's only for a period of time. And he gave up the ghost, or he died, and his suffering was relieved. And can I say this too? There are some of us that are suffering right now. Our suffering will not end until we reach home to glory. You know, ever since I was a child, I had asthma. And I've often prayed and asked God, God, take away my asthma. You know, I don't know if you've... Uh, I don't know if you know this, but it's tough when you can't breathe, right? And, and I've, I've spent my whole life praying and asking the Lord, Lord, please take this away from me. But he hasn't. And I know that for the rest of my life, I'll suffer for asthma. There's nothing I could do to get rid of that. But you know, beloved, that's why I'm looking forward to glory. I'm looking forward to a time where I don't have to struggle to breathe. I'm looking forward to a time where I can wake up, I, I don't have to wake up in the middle of the night reaching for my inhaler. I mean, everywhere I go, I have it on me. Here it is, right here. I don't go anywhere without it. Because if I get an asthma attack and I don't have this on me, I'd be no more. Beloved, I'm looking forward to that day, but I know that I'll suffer with this for as long as I live and there'll be no reprieve. But scripture says that the end is coming. There's one day I will dwell in the house of the Lord and I will not need this. And that's a glorious reality. But not only that, there's a purpose behind the suffering. And we see that with Christ, that when Jesus said that he, uh, that it is finished, in that moment, the good shepherd became the sacrificial lamb who laid down his life for his sheep. That his suffering had a purpose. That Christ didn't just die because that was the good thing to do. Christ died so that you and I might have everlasting life. And Christ suffered. He felt that despair. He was forsaken. And but, but beloved, hear me today. He walked through the valley of the shadow of death alone so that we wouldn't have to. Or we wouldn't have to. And I pray today that you, in the midst of our suffering and pain, realize this glorious truth that you have a Savior that is walking with you, and he is there to strengthen you and provide you comfort and hope. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we shall fear no evil because you are with us, and your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Thank you that you are in the midst of our suffering, Thank you that you never leave your people alone. Thank you that even now, as our world seems topsy-turvy, 
that again we see your hand of mercy upon us. Lord, bless your people. Help us. May your word sustain us. We thank you that even now you are here and present, that you have not left us. Bless us now, your people, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen.